1: You're listening to another episode of What Is Your Favorite Thing About Basketball? The mini podcast series that I, Samson Folk, am doing to talk to people about why they love the game. Today, you're going to be listening to Alex Wong, who is currently a producer and co-host on The Raptors Show with William Liu, and the author of Cover Story, which is a fantastic book. Basically, it is the NBA and modern basketball, as told through its most iconic magazine covers, it's also the book that when I was reading it, I found out that Ice-T has a speed metal band. And so just for a little bit of the intro, you'll be hearing Body Count do a cover of Raining in Blood. <laughs> so I hope you enjoy it. It won't be too loud, so no worries. But I sincerely hope you enjoy the podcast. I had an absolute blast talking to Alex. Awaiting the hour of reprisal. Your time slips away. Alex Wong. What is your favorite thing about basketball?
0: For me, it's about finding the absolute most unique angle to cover the sport. So whether I'm working on a feature, finding a topic to write a book, or even say producing a Raptor show, you know, the the focus is always still the same in terms of what is the most unique way to present content to the audience, to the readers and to the listeners. Because for me, I think there's a responsibility with the access that we get as media members and also a greater responsibility to provide the audience with content that they can be excited about. One of the things that when I first started in this industry that I struggled with, and I think a lot of people might have struggled with, is finding your own voice, finding a way to tell stories that feel personal, not just to the audience, but to yourself. And very earlier on, you know, I tried to emulate a lot of the great writers out there. Now, that's not to detract from saying that you shouldn't have writers that you look up to, that you admire, that you study, that maybe you take some cues and notes from. But it did take me a few years to realize that, hey, writing about X's and O's and analyzing basketball games, that is all and great, And I think there is a huge need for that. But that just wasn't something that particularly interested me. And so it took me into a different... Kind of environment when I really realized that I wanted to imprint my own perspective and my own voice on things. So if I were to sum it up, I would say the thing I love about basketball is really everything that doesn't have anything to do with the actual basketball being played on the court. Mm-hmm.
1: You mentioned, you know, in the acknowledgments of your book that Francine Klein, your eighth grade homeroom teacher, helped um, put you on this path, even if it took a little while to develop. And so I'm curious, what do you think made it so that you did pursue all these, I don't know, peripheral stories about basketball?
0: It's interesting when I think about it now, I probably didn't have this perspective when I was growing up. Having immigrated from Hong Kong to Canada with my family at a very young age when I was six, there was always this outsider perspective that I think I had. You know, I never felt like that coming to Toronto and living here even though I made friends and you know I this became my home I always looked at everything from an outsider's perspective and I think in that way you know ever since I was young growing up and even until now that I'm covering basketball I've always approached things from that perspective in terms of not thinking about what everybody else is thinking about or how everybody else is talking about things, but, you know, how do I look at things? You know, what what is a different lens that I can I can look at when it comes to covering basketball? And you mentioned my English teacher, Ms. Klein, I had a chance to reconnect with her a few years ago. And it was great for me to just sit down and really tell her that, that you know, how much impact she had on me. And, you know, it's been so long, I can't even, describe the specifics on the ways that she did influence me but what i particularly remember is you know she did sit me down and and, you know she would always push me in class to you know think more critically and think more creatively and it's those small things and sometimes it's getting a small push from someone like that that i think can make a huge difference
1: it's interesting when when i started doing this podcast i kind of treated uh the basketball like secondary to the writers. And, and since I've changed, although this little podcast series I'm doing is a return to that, but um, I changed that because people were obviously more interested in basketball than what the writers were doing to get to the stories and all that kind of stuff. But your work for such a long time was I thought the most unique aspect of that in that you were paying attention to all the people around basketball, security guards, fans, all these types of things. and. I'm curious, what made you gravitate towards telling their stories and also being able to do it in such an intriguing and compelling way?
0: I think for me, a lot of times the most interesting stories come from people whose stories haven't been told. When you think about athletes and especially NBA players that we deal with on a day-to-day basis, a lot of times their stories have been told. And a lot of times their stories have been packaged, say, at a Players' Tribune. Or on their, uh, you know, player a player owned podcast or YouTube channel, that you know it can feel a little bit tiring or cliche after a while. So, if you were to get access to players, or if you were to get access to the arena, I think again it goes back to the responsibility of what are the stories that people haven't heard about? What are the stories that if people were in your position and had this access and had this opportunity to talk to and interview these people, what are the stories that they would like to hear? Because when I was thinking about doing this podcast with you and thinking about examples of some of these unique stories that I wanna do, one of the ones that I haven't had a chance to do is when I covered the NBA Finals for several years, I was always intrigued by this crew of people who sat at the arena in the back where all the podiums took place, the post-game press conferences. There was just a transcription crew. There was a crew hired by the NBA to provide transcripts, which would then be sent to reporters like ourselves. And what fascinated me about them is LeBron James could be leading the Cavs to a comeback from 3-1 down against the Golden State Warriors in Game 7. And these people would be in the bowels of the stadium, not witnessing NBA history, but just sitting there doing transcriptions and waiting for things to be transcribed. And I wanted to sit with them for a game and just tell the story of watching an NBA finals game through the lens of the transcription crew. So for me, it's always about looking out for whose stories can be told at the arena. And and also just like whatever thread whatever small thing that someone says a player says at the end of the game i'm always thinking about how to turn the smallest thing into an actual story
1: that's that is fascinating actually the tr- the transcribers is to think about also the fact that it's at the nba finals is to be like next to what we perceive as greatness but it's just very workaday for you which is i think like endlessly fascinating as well because yeah, even the people who tell these stories like, like yourself or talk about them you know be it on tv radio podcast whatever it's so interesting that you know sports is the lens by which we see so much greatness and you know there's this whole economy of people who cover it and that can be you know very exciting and that can be like feature work where you hang out with a player all day and it comes out or it can be just day-to-day stuff it it interests me To to no end. And I'm curious because we're talking about, you know, how basketball exists outside of basketball and outside of the obvious that you work in basketball. And by the way, having so much success, which is fantastic, but I'm curious, what do you think the footprint of basketball is in your life outside of just work?
0: Yeah, I think (laughs) it's funny when I think about, one of the things I've always told people about the NBA is that, it's really the only league where you could not watch a single game. And if you were just following it on social media, or if you're just consuming it through group chats or friends that you still know half of the players, because what other league would there be where I could casually bring up a name, like a J.R. Smith or a PJ Tucker. These are role players and, you know, the casual fan might know because of things that they've done or quotes that they've said in terms of footprint for me, you know, I think, Basketball is a huge part of you know my day to day, and then outside of just having to pay attention because of my work responsibilities, I just find so much entertainment from basketball. You know, one of the things that I do every season is I just keep a running Google Doc of my favorite quotes from NBA players as I'm seeing them on Twitter, as I'm seeing them at press conferences, or reading quotes from articles, and each year I try to compile. Uh, a feature that is essentially just the top 100 quotes of the season. And they are just ridiculous quotes from Anthony Edwards or, you know, last night I, I saw Nick nurse respond to Masai calling him a mad scientist saying, you know, I don't know about the scientist part, but, but I'm definitely mad. Um, I think for me, basketball and especially the NBA, there's just such a collective group of characters that provide such entertainment uh, beyond just the basketball that's played.
1: Are there certain players that you have off the top of your head that you would consider like in the realm of the best quote in the NBA? Well, you obviously brought up Anthony Edwards, but is there some players you have?
0: In terms of players that I've come across, I would say there's actually just like an archetype. You know, I think the veteran role players who've had the perspective, who know how to talk to media and who aren't nervous, to be honest. And some of the names might surprise, you know, when CJ Miles was on the Raptors, he was one of the best players that I've ever talked to. Uh, JJ Redick is another one. Uh, I've really enjoyed talking to guys like Austin Rivers. Um, I remember there was one time I was doing a story about how you learn When you actually become a veteran in this league, because I was intrigued because every time I watched a broadcast, I would hear the announcers call particular players a vet and there was no definition for it. Sometimes a player could be in his third year in the league and if he he was on a young team, he would be referred to as a vet or sometimes a player would be in his 11th year. And that is when he would be referred to as a vet. So my whole story idea was, how do you know when you've become a veteran in the NBA? And I wanted to ask Austin Rivers if it mattered when you've switched enough teams and you've had enough experience in the locker room. And I don't know how this happened, but, you know, I think people are familiar with Austin Rivers' personality. He's a very self-confident guy. Uh, Two minutes into the interview, somehow we got to Austin Rivers telling me that he had the best crossover in the NBA. And (laughs) he told me, you know, Just make sure you keep an eye on me on the court tonight. Watch, watch. And I don't think he actually crossed anyone over that night, but it's those kind of guys. I think guys that are honest, guys that will engage you in the conversation because sometimes it's really hard talking to players as well because they have gone through the motions every day of answering the game day questions and answering the post-game questions. When you approach some of these players, if you don't have a relationship with them, there's really skepticism sometimes because they think that you're just coming to do the same old story again. And I've seen guys get really excited when they realize that the topic is something different. And you know, I'd be remiss to not mention Fremme Fleet as well. You know, I think Fremme Fleet is a very obvious choice in terms of someone who's always been honest, but also engages you in any conversation that you wanna have. So in terms of players, those are really the ones that off the top of my head, I can think of.
1: The Nardwar effect, I suppose. Is is there a player or a question that you found has pleased a player the most that they're like, oh hell yeah, that, that kicks ass?
0: <laughs> so I think when I worked on a story in 2016 for GQ, when the Cleveland Cavaliers were playing the Raptors in the Eastern Conference Finals, What I had noticed was in the second round, Kevin Love had said after they swept the Atlanta Hawks in a post game presser that he was excited to go home because it was Sunday and he actually got a chance to watch Game of Thrones live. Now this was at the height of just Game of Thrones mania and just from that one line I decided to do a story about how players in the Cavaliers locker room were dealing with Game of Thrones spoilers and how they were watching the show and their favorite characters during the playoffs. So I spent a majority of that conference finals talking to guys like Kevin Love, Iman Shumpert, Channing Frye, and several others as well about their favorite Game of Thrones theories, about dealing with spoilers, about what it's like in general when your life has to come to a stop because you're an NBA player and you're competing for a championship in the playoffs. So in talking to those guys about it, they were always so excited to have those conversations. And sometimes I find it as a surprise because I think when you think about the playoffs, it's all about players shutting down their social media, not talking to friends or family, just completely locked in 24 seven basketball. But that's not true. You know, these guys could be under the pressure of trying to win a championship And they still want to just go home on Sunday and watch Game of Thrones without catching spoilers. So at the end of the day, it's about, for me, finding those subjects, finding those topics, finding those ideas, finding those conversations. But then hopefully for people reading the stories, they can come away realizing that, hey, a lot of these athletes are are just regular people too, just uh, with a lot of money, a lot more money than us and a lot different (laughs) lifestyle.
1: That, that brings up, an, this was mostly locker room conversations, I take it?
0: Yeah, this was just coming up to the guys that shoot around, coming up to them after the game. Um, I remember another great story. Just because the Cavaliers were just around a lot during those years, I remember doing a story on them about all of the handshakes that they did. Because I think many people remember when LeBron was there, uh, he had a special set of handshakes with, every single player. So I went around talking to players about that. And this was right before Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder were traded from the team that season. And I remember when I approached Isaiah Thomas at a morning shoot around to talk about his handshake with LeBron, I could get the sense that the two weren't really that close because Isaiah didn't really want to give me an answer about (laughs) it. He was like, it's just a handshake, man. Meanwhile, Iman (laughs) Shumpert went into this like, 10 minute rant to me about just the meaning of handshakes growing up uh, and and what it meant to have those bonds with just friends in high school and even in college. And I I remember one of my favorite things about that is I had talked to everybody and obviously it was impossible to request for a one-on-one with LeBron. So my thought was to asked LeBron a question in the post game scrum when the Raptors came when the Cavaliers came to Toronto that season and that happened to be the game when the Cavaliers lost by like 40 points so it just was not the right spot to ask LeBron after that game hey what do you think about all the handshakes <laughs> that you do so unfortunately never did get a chance to speak to him about that But I don't remember your question now, but that that was another story that I thought I would tell.
1: (laughs) Well, I was I was interested to know if these were mostly locker room conversations, because that is something that currently isn't happening. And you wonder what the I don't know, the landscape of interviewing guys or whether it's WNBA players or menBA players, um, you know, what access looks like post pandemic and. some of the stories that you told that you were creative enough to think about, could you passively get the access being a reporter or into the future as you did in the past? I'm curious what you think of that.
0: Yeah, I've thought a lot about that, actually. You know, I'm not sure, even as we're moving back towards more normal times, you know, I think other teams in the US have started to make players available like they used to at shoot around or post game. Here in Toronto, there's been no locker room access to players since they've returned to Toronto. And it is a huge detriment because I think a lot of these ideas that I like to do comes from trial and error as well. You know, what I usually like to do, you know, back before I started producing the Raptor show and that became a huge part of my workflow, when I used to write more is have four or five ideas going at the same time. And you would just go into the locker room and talk to guys about different topics and and try to see if there was an interesting thread that you could pull from or if there was actually something there, because there's a lot of ideas that you think of that you might think is brilliant when you're lying in bed at three in the morning and writing it into your notes app. And then you get to the arena and you talk to a couple of players and you realize, oh, you know, you thought that was a great idea, but that really isn't. So, yeah, you know, I, I do wish we could go back to to those times. And if anything, I think my brain has just stopped coming up with a lot of these unique ideas the last couple of years. And I think partly one of it is because recognizing that a lot of the features that I like to do, there just isn't that access right now, but also because, you know, uh, I know my roles have changed a bit in my career in terms of, um, you know, producing the radio show and, and working on books and things of that nature. But there is one big idea I like to do when the access is is there again and then nobody's allowed to steal it because we have this on record is that i've been fascinated about nba players taking ownership of certain emojis so here in toronto people will recognize gary trent with the ninja emoji fred with the dice emoji pascal with the uh the spice the spicy pepper emoji and i think around the league when you look at it Certain players just make a certain emoji their own. And I want to talk to them about that in terms of taking ownership. How do they feel if other, if other players use it? You know, is is what is the usage of it in group chats, you know, with friends, families, and teammates. And, you know, what does it mean to, to take take ownership of a particular emoji? So it's it's those type of things that, you know, I still think about once in a while and I still write down the ideas. And, you know, hopefully when the time is right, you know, those are the stories that I love to do again
1: that's a that's a fantastic idea. I can't believe you just you put that out there for free but i I suppose if anybody steals that, you know you'll be able to write it better um the The last thing I wanted to uh to talk about was really not not me talking, but you are part of like a novel basketball experience as far as the show that you and will Lou put on and I just if you if there's anybody who listens to this podcast who doesn't watch your show or listen to it because it's so widely available. I'd, you know, if there's a pitch you'd like to make or something or, you know, the space it holds, um, the the time is now,
0: Alex. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things, uh, you know, the one thing I always say, you know, I, I give a lot of the credit to Will Lou because I think he looks at the game uh in a much different way than I do in, in the way that in the things that we've talked about today. But I think the the thing that Will and I do in working on the Raptor show and and doing a one hour show Monday to Friday, is we approach it, the way we've always approached watching the Raptors and and talking about the Raptors, like we're not trying to be anybody, but ourselves. And I think, you know, to to be able to do that, you know, you can't just say that you have to be comfortable with whether being yourself is enough to service the audience, because it goes back to everything that I said at the beginning, is I feel like a lot of times, whether you're a writer or whether you're a podcast host, um, not enough of us put ourselves in the shoes of the reader uh, or the listener. And this is something that I always try to do is what would the listeners want? If you were a Raptors fan, whether you were casual or a diehard or something in between, what is it that you want us to talk about? How would you want us to talk about it? Like essentially just putting myself in their shoes because I think a lot of times we love talking about ourselves. Like I'm on here talking about myself and process and ideas and things like that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but sometimes it's really important for us to get out of that zone. And I do hope that with the way that, you know, I've produced the show and with the way that Will and I speak on air and the guests that we bring on, that people feel like they are part of the community because I do feel like and this is not to call out anybody in the industry, but when you're not passionate about basketball, when you're not passionate about the Raptors, it shows, there's a huge difference between just showing up and doing your job versus showing up, doing your job and having fun and being really passionate about it. So I think that's the one thing that Will and I really kind of, that's how we resonate with people in my opinion.
1: Okay. And sorry, one last question, because I remember you tweeting I can't remember if it's a year or a year and a half This is, this ago. is
0: never a good start to a question. But no, 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 no. It's I'm a scared. really
1: great tweet. Really great tweet. Not a bad thing. Um, I think you tweeted something to the effect of the least important thing you can be when talking about basketball is right. Who cares? And I'm really curious to get your opinion as gambling money really, you know, there's a huge injection of it into the industry. And we see that many people are trying and like you know this goes for myself because a lot of my work is analysis based currently but trying to be right and you know i'm curious what you make of that
0: yeah you know i think what i meant to say by that is really just that so many of the conversations that happen especially on social media is driven by whether i am right or not and so many of it is comparing players or comparing the legacies of players or comparing teams from different eras or posting certain stats to support that this player that I'm talking about is better than the other player like I've there's no more boring the most boring conversation to me in basketball is when you talk about like oh who's the greatest of all time or oh you have to pick is it Michael or is it LeBron or oh with the 72 win bowls have beaten the 73 win Warriors, and those conversations honestly just evolve into people wanting to show that they know more than the other people, and to me, that's so not interesting. Um, I think from a gambling standpoint, yes, I think that's a different way to look at it in terms of uh, getting things right. But you know, when it goes back to to writing and talking about basketball, I think about the work that you do. You know, to, uh, thinking about the most recent, one of the most recent stories when you looked at every single one of Scotty Barnes's play and try to analyze what kind of player he would become. You know, that's not about being right. That's about a genuine passion about the game and a genuine passion to look at how a rookie player is doing through a particular lens. That's the stuff that interests me because it's a writer's curiosity coming out on paper versus a writer just wanting you to know that he's right and the other person is not and he's smarter than you. So for me, it's it's just never about being smart. And, you know, if, if you are smart, if you think critically, if you think creatively about the game, that is going to come through. You know, you don't need to show that or prove that to people all the time in arguments. Um, and that's why I have, uh, in recent years, uh, used my social media to post the same three Uncut GEM screenshots all the time.
1: <laughs> very good, very good. Um, Alex, thank you so much for the time, man.
0: No, I really appreciate it, Samson. really enjoying this series.
1: Thank you. And listeners, If you liked the way that Alex saw the game, I have incredible news for you. He has a book out. It's called Cover Story. And it is, quote, the NBA and modern basketball as told through its most iconic magazine covers. We spent this whole podcast talking about the peripheral conversations, the peripheral stories that can be told and how unbelievably interesting they are. And cover story is filled with so many wonderful nuggets about the NBA, its impact on culture and just the game itself. And and how hard they had to fight to make it relevant to people. And then you see, you know, how big it is today. And, you know, it's it's a kind of a, a massive point, a turning point in basketball coverage. And, and he covered it wonderfully. So Alex, thank you so much for coming on. Listener, I hope you enjoyed it immensely. Uh, thanks for tuning in. But whether you got into it in the morning, or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye.